0: Let me pray for us and we'll dive into our message today. Jesus, um, this is your word and I pray that as I uh, get to preach it um, to whoever it is that's listening, I pray that you will do what only you can do and you will change our hearts. And specifically, Father, I pray for those listening that you will help make us a more loving people, that we will love others the way that you loved us, and Father, I pray that that makes all the difference in our, in our, in our, in our lives, in our friendships, in our homes, in our communities, in our city, and it makes all the difference. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Well, in 2018, Barna Research Study did uh, did uh, Barna Research Group did this study, um, and what they did is they asked uh, groups of people this one question. They said, which of the following words would you describe evangelicals in general? So which of the following words would you use to describe evangelicals in general? One of the groups that they asked were people that identified themselves as being outside of the church. All right, So, so they asked people that were outside the church to describe those inside the church. That's what evangelicals mean. Their answers that they put were shocking. So this is those outside the church describing those inside the church. Their number one word that they used to describe those inside the church were religiously conservative. Okay, that kind of makes sense, right? Coming in at almost a direct tie with that was politically conservative. Which means the majority of people that said religiously conservative also said politically conservative, that somehow those outside the church put those two things together, which is really interesting because in my Bible, those two things aren't necessarily together. But that's not the shocking part, right? Here's what came in in a close third, fourth, and fifth, like all bundled in together. Narrow-minded was next. Homophobic. Puritanical, which means excessively uh, rigid morality. Uptight, invasive, strongly prejudiced against women, and strongly prejudiced against people of color, racist. That's not the shocking part. Guess what came in lower than all of those? This is people outside the church saying the people inside the church are least like this. Caring, hopeful, friendly, encouraging, generous, and good-humored. Those ranked the bottom. That's still not the shocking part. Here's the shocking part. That same question was asked to those inside the church. So in other words, those inside the church were asked to describe what those inside the church are like. Here's what ranked highest among them. Caring, hopeful, friendly, encouraging, generous and good-humored guess what ranked lowest narrow-minded homophobic puritanical uptight and invasive it was exactly the opposite of what it was for those outside the church so here's here's the most shocking part of this study to me was the big difference that those outside the church think than those inside the church think the big difference versus how those outside the church see those inside the church and how those inside the church see those inside the church i've heard it said this way that the world knows more what the church is against than what the church is for right that the world knows more than what the church is, knows much more of what the church is against than what the church is for but y'all let me ask you this what if that was different Right? What, if, what if that was different? What if, what if those outside the church could see what those inside the church see? What if a person who had never stepped into a church in their life, when they were asked, how would you describe church people? How would you describe evangelical?" What would happen if the first words that came out of their mouth were caring, generous, friendly? Here's what I think would happen. If those were the first words that came out of my mouth, I think the world would be a better place. I think more doors would be open to church doing ministry than they are now. And I think, and, and honestly, I don't just think this, I know this, because I know this is what Jesus wants for his church. Because he said so, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see what Jesus wants for his church, and through the church, what Jesus wants for the world. And so if, if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 34 through 35. Typically, we teach through books of the Bible, but in this series, uh, we've been honing in on a few particular key aspects. And then I kind of jump all over the Bible uh, during, those, during those messages uh, because we're focusing in on what discipleship looks like. And in our series, we're calling this Thrive because we're seeing what discipleship looks like here. We're seeing what it looks like to thrive in life and not just survive. And and, and simply put, you can think of discipleship like this. Discipleship describes the process of learning about God and life with someone. It describes the process of knowing God and knowing how he wants us to live life from somebody else, but not doing it alone, doing it with others. That's what discipleship is all about. Jesus had disciples, right? And there were 12 of them and they walked together and they ate together and they were together. That's what discipleship looks like. It looks like living life and learning about God with others. Now, if discipleship is the goal of every church, which I believe that it is, Jesus said that at the end of Matthew, if, if discipleship is the goal, this is what we think is the path to get there right? The, the, that's why this triangle of thrive has been important. Remember last week we talked about blazes when you're walking a trail and you see that symbol. That's what we see this as. And so if you, know, uh, if you put that symbol up of the triangle with, with no circles, just the, the three words on it right there, thank you. That this is our blaze to show us what discipleship looks like. That when we are, are, are living with Jesus and we are in God's word and we are for others, that's what thriving in life does. That's the best soil for, for it. Last week, we we talked about in God's Word. The week before that, we talked about with Jesus. Well, this week, we're going to talk about living life for others and what Jesus has to say about that. Because you see, here's the deal with our faith. Our faith was never meant to be lived alone, right? And and if anything that this pandemic has taught us, it's that. We were designed to be with people. Y'all, I've discovered even introverts have their limits of being introverted, during this pandemic, right? Some of you haven't hit it yet. You will, you will, you will. Right, because we're designed to need people. So kids, let me ask you, do you miss seeing your friends in, in recesses and play dates the way you used to? Students, students, are you getting tired of doing all the things you have to do just to be able to see your friends? Right, like all of that shows that God made us to need each other. And our faith has always been designed to be lived out amongst a community of believers. And today we get to see what this God-given trait in each of us, how it can actually change the world and how that, 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 that need in all of us, when, when put under the umbrella of the gospel and, and, and lived with Jesus, can actually make the world a better place. And as you're turning to John 13, let me tell you what's been happening right around it uh, because this is, this is John's account of Jesus' life. And the disciples are having their last meal together. Now, I don't, they don't know that it's their last meal together, but Jesus does, because after this meal, uh, he is about to be crucified, right? And this last meal, you might be familiar with it. Maybe you've seen the painting, right? The Last Supper. That's what they're doing. Looked a little different than the painting captured it, but that's all right. That's all right. That's art. But they're having their last meal. And where John 13 picks up, something important has just happened. Judas has just left to betray Jesus. Right? And and Judas leaves. And the disciples, John says, doesn't even know why Judas is leaving. They think he left to go to the store. That they forgot something at the meal and Judas was going to take care of it because he's the one that handled the money. And so Judas left. But Jesus knows that Judas has left to betray him. And what's about to happen is Jesus is about to be arrested and that arrest is going to lead to trials that are unjust and he is going to be crucified. And Jesus knows that this is the last time that he's going to be with his disciples until after the resurrection. And so what Jesus is about to teach them, I think, is critically important because they say last words are lasting words. And this is the last supper that he gets to have with them again until he's he's resurrected. And so what does he teach them? Well, let's look and see in verse 34. So chapter 13, verse 34 says this. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Now, I want to stop there because this word has some weight to it. Some of your translations may say command, some may say commandment. Commandment is actually a better translation because what commandment is doing is is, it's reminding the readers of something. See, a a command tells you to do something right? Kids, it's when your parents tell you to clean your room. That's a command, right? And, and, and just let me give you some extra credit here, kids. Just so you know, that doesn't mean shove everything under your bed. It means put stuff where it belongs, right? That's what clean your room means, right? Because that's the command. It means to go and do. It's a direction to follow. But Jesus's word here is commandment. And, and what he's doing is he's reminding these, these, these men, Of the Ten Commandments, right? They're Jewish, and and this word commandment would mean something to him. Because the Ten Commandments were the basis of all the law of Israel, the basis of how they lived life. And that's actually the difference between a command and a commandment, because a command tells you what to do, right? But a commandment tells you what to be. The Ten Commandments, they look like to-dos, but really they are to-bes. Right? When it says, do not covet, it means be content with what God is asking you to do, because it's a whole lot easier to, to not covet than it is to be content. And so commandments tell you what to be. And Jesus is saying that he's got a new commandment for his followers. He's saying, listen, guys, if, if you're going to be with me, if you're going to follow me, then this is critically important, because remember, he knows he's about to be crucified, And this is the coach, like, in the locker room, giving the talk of their lives, right? And he's going to say, listen, guys, I'm actually going to give you a new way to live. A new way. Now, that is radical, because let me take a little diversion here, just to help us understand the importance of what Jesus is saying. Because he's telling them the Ten Commandments, that everything is based on the Ten Commandments that you know, the Ten Commandments that you memorize, the Ten Commandments that have, that, have, that have grown into all the laws that we follow here in Israel. He's saying those Ten Commandments are old, and I'm going to give you something new. In other words, he's saying, now this may sound scandalous, but let me explain it. What he's saying is you don't need those anymore because I'm going to give you something new better. Now, that sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? And you might be asking yourself, whoa, 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 so does that mean the Ten Commandments are still good, right? We still need them, don't we? Kind of. Kind of yes, kind of no. It's one of my favorite answers in seminary was, well, yes and no. Because let's listen to to see what the Bible says about those Ten Commandments. Matthew, um, who was another writer of Jesus' life, another gospel writer, he said he captured Jesus saying these words in Matthew 5.17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. All right, So they're still good. They still serve a purpose. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to, what's the word? Can you see it up there? To fulfill them. Right? I haven't come to abolish them, I've come to fulfill them. In other words, Jesus is not saying that the Ten Commandments and the laws that, that spring from them are bad. He's simply saying that we no longer need them the same way that we needed them before Jesus. Another writer in the New Testament, Paul, who came after the disciples and, and, and only met Jesus in a, in a supernatural way, he wasn't one of the disciples that walked with Jesus, he has this to say. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, he says, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. And so when Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment, what he's saying is that there is now this seismic shift and how you think about religion, and how you think about your relationship with God, and how you think about living with those who are in a relationship with God. You see, Paul takes Jesus' words and and says, if you have Jesus, you don't need the Ten Commandments. Why? Here's why. Because the job of the Ten Commandments was to point out your need for Christ. That's why they're there. They're there to show you, you need a savior. That's the beauty of the 10 commandments, which is why they're not to do's, they're to be's because you can't do them. You can't be that person without a savior. You can't be that person without the empowerment of God making you and moving you and shaping you to be that person. And y'all, we're going to be learning how to be that person I can be the Ten Commandments kind of person the rest of our lives. Theologians have given it a word called sanctification, which means being made more and more holy every day by walking with Jesus. You see, their job was to show God's people how to be God's people, but now that we have Jesus, he can show us more clearly than the Ten Commandments can. Think about it this way. In some ways, the Old Testament's like a, a, movie, a movie preview and a movie trailer. Remember those when we used to go see movies? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> I get there early because I love the previews. Right? I love seeing the previews for the upcoming movies. The Old Testament is a lot like that because here's what a preview does. A preview points you to an upcoming movie. And you get all excited and you can't wait for that movie to come out because the trailers look good. And sometimes I've seen movies where the trailer is better than the movie. Anybody seen that? Well, the Old Testament's like, well, I guess it is kind of like that because the movie is better. Because if the Old Testament is like the trailers, then when the movie comes out, it's better. And it is good. Right? So that's why it's not actually. Because the trailers aren't better. The movie's better. And that's what Jesus is saying. Like, like, can you imagine how absurd it would be if, if you've been waiting for this movie to come out and you've watched the trailers and, and it finally comes out and you watch it and you love the movie. But once the movie is over, you say, you know what? I'm not going to ever watch the movie again. I'm just going to watch the trailers. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? You see, this is what Jesus is saying. Now that the Old Testament is fulfilled, now that the Savior has come, now that I'm here... There's a better way to live. You see, when we follow Jesus, we get to be what the Ten Commandments show us to be. And when we don't walk with Jesus, we need the scriptures. Because that's the verse we saw last week, right? All scripture scripture is is breathed by God. And it's good for teaching, rebuke, correcting, and training, and righteousness. And when we're not with Jesus, we need God's law to show us how to get back. We need something to point us back to him. Well, look at what Jesus says this new commandment is to be. So look what replaces and look what fulfills the Ten, the, the Ten Commandments. In other words, if you do this, you're going to be the person that Ten Commandments point you to be. Because he says this, he says in the rest of verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Love one another. Now, here's the deal. Love can mean a whole slew of things, can it? Parents, you love your kids. Kids, you love your parents. Spouses, you love each other. Those of you who are dating and engaged, like, like you love the person that you're dating and engaged to, and it's often, uh, often this very passionate love. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have friends? Like, raise your hand if you have friends. At home, go ahead and raise your hands, too. okay. Let me ask you this. Do you love your friends differently than the loves that I just described? Yeah, you do, right? Because there's different kinds of love. And so what does Jesus mean when he says you are to love one another? What does he mean? Well, he uses this word agape, which is a very specific kind of love. And as a matter of fact, it's so specific, Jesus goes ahead and describes what he means by it. Because look at what he says in the rest of verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And so that's what agape love is. Agape is this love that we receive from God that we give out to others. And so it is this, this, as God loves us, we love others. As Jesus loves us, we love others just the way that he has loved us. And so you see why being with Jesus is part of our thrive. Because you have to be with Jesus to know what kind of love Jesus gives you so that you can give that to others. That's what agape love is. Now here's the deal. Jesus' disciples were with him on a daily basis for about three years. I think it would be fairly easy for them to understand what Jesus meant here. right? Because they would be like, oh yeah, last Wednesday Jesus did this for me. Right? They could understand what Jesus' love is. Here's the deal, we're removed from that, but we're not so removed that we can't figure out what Jesus meant because Paul's going to come and help us again. Remember, Paul wasn't one of those disciples that walked with Jesus every day. He experienced Jesus in a supernatural way and was this powerful missionary and preacher and church planter in ancient times. But what he did is he took this word agape and he took Jesus' words here and he expanded on them a little bit and made them a little bit more concrete so that we can understand what they mean. Because for us, when Jesus says, yeah, go love one another, it's really to go, okay, love as I loved you. Okay, I'm not sure what that means, but I'll give it a try. Well, Paul tells us exactly what that means. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, and and it's a verse that many people have heard in weddings, right? Love is da-da-da-da-da. Well, Paul wrote that to a church, not for a wedding, but he wrote it to a church on how to live, on how to love one another the way Jesus loves. And how do we know that? Because he uses the exact same word that Jesus used. He uses that word agape. And he says, agape is, in other words, when Jesus loves us and we love others, here's what that looks like. Because he says this He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's what Paul in 1 Corinthians says, that's what it looks like when Jesus loves us and we love others. Paul here is saying, if this is how Jesus has loved you, you get to be this loving person for others. That's what it looks like. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to bring this verse home a little bit, right? Because I want to make it more personal. And so here's what I want you to do. Wherever the word love is or a word referring to love, I want you to say your name. Now, for the, you little tricky people out there, I don't want you to actually say your name. I want you to say your actual name, right? Because I've done this before. There's always someone, usually usually someone connected to FSM, not going to say who, but usually someone connected to our student ministry that goes, oh, your name, all right? No, say your name, right? Say Carl, say Fred, say Mark, say Trish, right? Say your name, all right? So, so uh, Noah, if you put the verse up there with the blanks in it, we're going to read it out loud. And I want you to put your name in it. Are you all ready? Yes, Yes. okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else ready at home? Are you all ready? Let's do this. Ready? One, two, three, go. Fred is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not rude or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable or resentful. Does Let me ask you, how is that? It's a little more convicting when it becomes more personal, isn't it? It's real easy when you when you when you see love and you see agape, love is patient, love is kind. Yes, I'll check that off. Fred is patient, Fred is kind. Not really. When Fred gets hungry or tired, being patient and kind is really, really hard. Right? You see, Jesus' words, as I have loved you, you also are to love each other, is real easy when we think we've got it. But when we realize we don't, when it's fleshed out like that, it really does sting a little. Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why it stings, at least in my life? In my life, I need Jesus to help me be these things. I need Jesus to help me be patient. I need Jesus to help me be kind. I need him to, to show me where I'm not. Because here's the deal with our Jesus. He always welcomes us back. He is there and ready for us to be with him so we can be with others any time of day or night. He's there. And so when we realize we're not, we don't have to be patient and kind to be in his presence. He makes us patient and kind by being in his presence. And for me, I need Jesus to help me and empower me to live this way. I can't do it. I, I, I certainly can't do it on my, on my own. I have to be with Jesus. I have to be in God's word to make it even possible to, to move the way he moves and to do what he does. Y'all, this week, I had two different conversations with people where after I got off the the phone and and one of them was on the phone, one of them was in person, after I had the conversation, I went back and I was alone for a little bit and, and I kept thinking about a particular part of each one of those conversations. And what I've learned is that when something like that comes to my mind, when a part of the conversation doesn't leave my mind, it's because Jesus is letting me know that there was something that I did in there that wasn't being with him, that wasn't this agape love it was something there and so so what I did is I stopped and I started thinking about okay what did I do in those conversations in one of them I said something that was true but could also be taken as not true and I wanted to make sure that the truth was clearly explained so I went back and I said hey I said this which is true but I want to tell you about something else that might make it seem untrue, and I want to explain it to you. And I did, and it made perfect sense. The other one? The other one was a conversation that I was on the phone with somebody, and I just said something snippy and snarky. Anybody ever say stuff like that? Like, it comes out of your mouth, and you're like, that was stupid. Right? But, but it was with a, a guy, and guys can kind of banter back and forth, and it's okay sometimes. This time it wasn't, at least not for me. And so it took a full day, right, of me thinking through, like, what was that? What, what, what in me caused that? I called him back the next day, and I said, hey, man, I said something that was just wrong. And I said, here's where I was coming from. Here's where my insecurities blew up, and it caused you to get defensive. And, man, I am sorry. Will you forgive me for that? He's like, man, I'm so sorry I got defensive. And I was like, it turned into this apology fest. And I was like, no, 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 like like it was beautiful and it was good. And for me, that's where I need Jesus with my words, which is so ironic because I make a living off of my words. Right? And yet God uses that. And that's what it is for you. In different areas of your life, you will see where you're not patient, you're not kind, you're, you're not doing that agape kind of love. You're arrogant, you're rude, you're quick-tempered, you, you point out people's failures. That's where you get to be with Jesus and in God's Word to learn how to love differently than what your natural bent is to to love people. That's what Jesus does. He takes the good stuff of you and and cheerleads it on and says, man, go do that. Do more of that. And then he takes the stuff that is based in insecurities and and, and failures and and bad theology, and he corrects that and says, okay, now go do that. And y'all, it's beautiful. You see, y'all, this is how Jesus says that That if you are with him, we will treat each other the way that he treated those who followed him. Now, for those of you who aren't Jesus followers yet, let today be the day you say yes to him. Let today be the day that you surrender your life, you surrender your plans, uh, you surrender who you are, all your expectations to him. Because only Jesus can empower you to be this kind of loving to people. And for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, let me ask you, does the words that Paul used, Describe your interactions with those who follow Jesus? Does it describe your interactions with your siblings? Right? Does it describe, and that, that, y'all, that's just not for kids. I'm talking to adults. Does that describe your interactions with your siblings? Right? Because some adults need the get along shirt with some of their adult siblings, don't they? You know which one I'm talking about? The one that's a really big shirt? you put both of you in it until you can make up some adults need that right does this describe uh, those that you see in person or those that you see virtually does this describe now I'm going to step on some toes does this describe your post on social media would those posts on social media be described this way Do those posts line up with Jesus' kind of love? Well, here's why this is important. In verse 35, we're almost done. It says, By this, by this, by the fact that of this agape love, you, Jesus loving you, you loving others, the way that Jesus loved you, this new commandment to love each other, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let me draw you to the words that Jesus has used here. He says, all people, those outside the church, when we love each other, when we treat each other the way Jesus treats us, it makes a difference outside of our church walls. In other words, the way that we treat each other is the way that they will see us treating them. The way that those inside the church treat those inside the church. And I'm not talking about just fellowship Asheville. I think it's key that we realize this is across denominations. This is the way, if you are a follower of Jesus, the way you treat other followers of Jesus, even if you disagree with their theology, even if you disagree with the, 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 the way that that, that that their theology moves in their life, if they proclaim Jesus, let me tell you, Those outside the church, they don't realize all those differences between us. They just see you treating another person who claims to follow the same Jesus, and they assume if that's the way you're treating them, that's the way you're going to treat me. And so if we can treat other Jesus followers the way that Jesus treated us, y'all, it makes a world of difference, literally. As a matter of fact, I think the way that we treat each other is our greatest tool for evangelism. That's what Jesus said. He said, he said. he said, they will know that you are my disciples. They, are know, they will know that you are Jesus' followers if, if you love each other. You see, being Jesus' kind of love to each other is the greatest way that people can see Jesus and his gospel fleshed out. And so church, how are you treating each other? Because to those outside the church, our politics have become our faith. Right, they see us as uptight and invasive. They see us as prejudiced against women, prejudiced against people of color. And do you know why they see that? Because it's true. That's why they see it. They're not making this stuff up. You see, that is how we treat each other. And I'm going to tell you, as your pastor, and I'm not. And like I said, I'm not talking just about fellowship, Asheville. I'm talking about. Uh, the, the church in general. That is what the church in general is known for. And y'all, this is not how the Bible tells us to live. This is not how Jesus tells us to live. He tells us to love each other and to be for each other because, y'all, there is a better way. I was recently in, uh, listening to an interview with a guy named Rich Velotis. Uh, And he leads a church in Queens, New York City, that is ethnically, racially diverse, generationally diverse, probably one of the most diverse churches uh, I've ever seen. And he was talking about (coughs) a topic similar to this. And he said something that I think is helpful for us the way that he captured it in in, in dealing with the the world around us, dealing with those outside the church. He said this, and I paraphrase it a little bit. He He said, are you living in the world for Jesus or... Are you living with Jesus for the world? Are you living in the world for Jesus? Or are you living with Jesus for the world? Right? Because we know Jesus loves those outside the church. Right? John says earlier in this book, For God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And can you see the difference in these two? That the first one, this first one is this picket sign kind of faith. And it's this this social media that's more concerned about clickbait posting than it is dealing with the truth. It's more concerned about controversy than it is about peace and unity. It's showing where everyone else is wrong, but not themselves. Right? It points out everyone else's sin, not yours. It condemns everyone else, but not your group. And it's just telling people to live right without showing them how, without having the relationship with them to do that. But the other, living with Jesus for the world, is living in the world like Jesus did. It's living with each other the way Paul describes. It's thriving, thriving with Jesus and in God's word for others. It's loving the way Jesus loved us for others. Y'all, can you imagine a group of people, a group of Jesus followers who are patient and kind, can you imagine who didn't, who didn't, uh, who took the time to get accurate data, maybe instead of just sharing one side of the story? That could be gossip, it could be stuff that we post online. Like, like, can you imagine a group of people that are patient and kind? Can you imagine a group of people who don't get jealous over someone else's success or who don't boast in their own but are marked by humility? Can you imagine a group of people that weren't so self absorbed that we actually listened? To people we disagreed with. That we actually became friends instead of canceling relationships. And that we emphasized, gosh, there might be people who have better ideas and pass forward than I do. Can you imagine a group of people who were known by the great questions that they asked. Instead of the statements that they made. Can you imagine a group of people who weren't irritable or resentful a group of people who, who weren't grumpy. If you want to see this lived out today, there's this guy named Bob Goff. And if you haven't read any of his books, B-O-B, everybody's got that one. Goff is G-O-F-F. He is the happiest, mo- most joyful follower of Jesus that I guarantee you, you will ever, ever meet. Can you imagine if there was a group of people like him Can you imagine a group of people that didn't keep reminding others of their failures, mistakes, and wrongdoings, but instead were cheerleaders for what's good and true? During the the early part of the shutdown, John Kraninsky's, did y'all ever see his stuff, that Some Good News, that went viral, where he would just highlight the good in the world? You can't watch those things without crying. Like, can you imagine a group of people that were like John Kranitsky, however you say his last name, and just pointing out the good that they saw in the world and the truth that they saw, no matter where they saw it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine a a group of people who had belief and hope and endurance? Y'all, this kind of people would change the world. And y'all, here's the beauty of what Jesus says. And here's the great truth of this passage is that we get to be those kind of people. We get to be those people that are are full of faith and hope and belief and trust. And so the application is is simple this week to this week's message. Take that 1 Corinthians passage where love is and read it with your name in it multiple times this week. And And then here's a challenge for us. What if your post on social media, for those of you who are on social media, I know some of you aren't, but for those of you who are, no matter what outlet you're using, what if just this week you just pointed to what's good and truthful in the world? To just what's good in the world. I think it might do something. Y'all, let's let's be with Jesus this week so he can show us how to be with others. Let me let me pray for us. Jesus. Um, uh, you are very good to us. And I pray that you would just show yourself to us and that we would be to others like you are to us. And, and, and Father, help us to do that in the little things. Lord, to not worry about the big things, but just the little things. Let, us, let those moms and dads be, be you to their little kids and to be patient and kind, even if just for a little bit. That's a little bit more than they were yesterday. Father, show us how to not be irritable, not be grumpy, but show us how to, to cheerlead one another and to cheer each other on. Help us to be those people. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Um, I do have one thing real quick, a quick announcement. I was originally going to put this in my message, but it seemed kind of cheesy, so I took it out uh, because it's about serving others, and so it seemed like a little, a little uh, bait and switch. But So I pulled it out, but I still want to tell you. Um, Lord willing, as vaccines continue to roll out, as things continue to lift, we will be having more and more people in our services, which means we're going to have more and more areas of service on Sunday where we really do need all hands on deck. For those of you that have been with us when we met in the Y, you remember those days where like if you showed up, you were stacking chairs or you were doing something, well, those days will be upon us again. And so if you call Fellowship Asheville home, whether you're in person or whether you're virtual, there are all kinds of areas of service. And we're going to actually send you an email tomorrow outlining some of those. And here's what I want you to do between now and tomorrow is just to pray. Where does God want you and your family to serve uh, for this church as things begin to open up? And so when that email comes across, you will have prayed through it already. And and you'll maybe hear a leaning from God about which little button to click. All right? Y'all, I love you. I love being in the church with you. Let's continue in worship. Thank you.